building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. You're listening to On the Edge with Ken Harrison, talking to Pastor Sammy Rodriguez of New Season Church in Los Angeles and Sacramento. Very involved in Washington, D.C. with the past three presidents. Very influential. And we're just sitting here catching up on why this election is so incredibly important. Thank you for having me. Honored to be with you, my friend. Thank you. You can visit my website, PastorSam.com, and uh, you can check out my latest book, From Survive to Thrive. So, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be part of this conversation. Sam Rodriguez, thanks for flying out to Colorado and joining me up here in the beautiful uh, mountains of Beaver Creek for the Promise Keepers board meetings. Well, I'm blessed to be here with you. Beautiful location. You're one of the best preachers in the world wow. today. I mean, just a phenomenal, dynamic preacher. And having said that, we're going to talk about politics the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> You're so phenomenal. We're going, to, we're going to actually talk about something. I love it. Uh, by the grace of God. Because not only, I mean... Look, in politics, we've got the Billy Graham approach, which is never get involved in politics. And I think in his era, he could do that. Uh, and we have the Franklin Graham approach, which is to be very involved in politics from a Christian worldview. And that's the road that you've gone down. And it's a very important view. I, I've, I've attempted to reconcile Billy with Franklin. Billy, not necessarily, Billy never fully completely endorsed, but Billy met with every president Truman was uh, had great trepidation, angst regarding Billy, but then subsequently Eisenhower. After Eisenhower, every single president bar none. So it's frankly just more uh, vociferous about public policy. Billy was a bit more nuanced, uh, but Franklin's commitment is it's just beautiful. So I, I, I'm a fan of both Billy and Franklin Graham as it pertains to evangelical or Christian engagement pertaining to politics. Boy, Franklin, we can't be silent about politics. Franklin's son, Will, too. I'll tell you, Will Graham. Oh, Will. Will is like the, the carrier of the mantle. Yeah. That's, that's the phrase inside baseball. You know, so the Graham family is just, you know, and, and uh, Ann Graham is a personal great friend. Uh, I love him. I'm a Graham family. My commitment growing up in Pennsylvania at the age of 14, this is how I got involved in politics. At the age of 14, I saw a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, speech on a certain channel on television, and it inspired me. Just a, I have a dream speech. And then subsequently, I saw a Billy Graham crusade somewhere, and on television, all on television. One of them was on PBS. And something in San Rodriguez hit, and here was the mission. San Rodriguez, your mission is to reconcile Billy Graham with Dr. King. The wording reconcile did not show up when I was 14, but it was it was just that the sense of that. Sam Rodriguez, your mission is to reconcile Billy Graham's message with Dr. King's march. Hmm, so I didn't know that about you. Yeah, that, that was like the moment. And then I had some encounters in an evangelical church that I grew up in where I truly believe I heard from heaven regarding destiny and purpose. And it was preaching and engaging the public sphere 
I was 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, so go figure. Here it is. I think my grandfather was the one that initially triggered it all when I was beginning to read four or five years of age. His, my first books that I learned to read were the presidents of the United States of America. That was it. So he gave me, he said, read this and internalize it. So I became obsessed with the presidents and presidential administrations, uh, you know, geopolitics and so forth. So here we are. Yeah, it's funny too. I mean, I, I think the greatest American who ever lived, and this will get a lot of people upset, is George Washington. And it wouldn't have gotten people upset 30 years ago. But I've, why, I have. Why would that get anyone upset? Because well, he owned slaves and all the race stuff that we're going through today. But I've read 15 books, if any, on him, old history books. What he went through, the people that were against him, the people who betrayed him, the Continental Congress not paying his men. And people don't realize he was the richest guy in the colonies at the time. And he had huge sugar plantations in Barbados. At any point, he could have just said, the heck with all of you guys, gotten in his ship with Martha and sailed off. And he did. He persevered through just nightmarish conditions. It's if if you don't know the history of George Washington, it's it's really something. I would concur with you, by the way. I, I would argue it's George Washington and Abraham Lincoln will be second. What he did to preserve the Union uh, was just remarkable. Agreed. This whole thing of trying to deconstruct our history mm. is just intellectually incoherent. It makes no sense. Like, zero sense. If we are to look back at every flawed individual who did great things, matter of fact, you want to get theological about it, we should not read anything from the Apostle Paul who wrote in the book of Galatians, you're neither, you know, be either Greek, be it slave or free person. Instead of Paul explicitly saying there shouldn't be any slavery whatsoever, he identified two communities embedded in his current reality. So it's not justifiable, any act of slavery, of course. And they realized it. They, they, they drafted documents that provided the legal facilitative platform by which inevitably emancipation took place. So they were very, quote-unquote, prophetic in their writing. Uh, so, yeah, I think George Washington, I agree. George Washington was the most remarkable American that ever lived. Right next to, of course, Yogi Berra. I was going to say, yeah, you see, you're a big Yankees fan. Die hard. And uh, it's unfortunate for you, but... It's not over till it's over. <laughs> God bless Yogi. So you were late to our board meetings because you were hanging out with somebody who I, you thought well, was more important than me. No, well, yeah, I'm involved in working... Right, I was involved in working with certain individuals in certain places on certain occasions. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of certain individuals in certain places on certain occasions, what are we going to do about the Supreme Court? We have to fill the Supreme Court with individuals who respect the Constitution, uh, who are not adhering to a worldview of constant fluidity regarding this, we call it a sacred text as Americans. That's a controversial term now. Um, but if you do believe that this nation was God-ordained somehow, that God permitted the formation of America, we're not talking about manifest destiny in William McKinley in the late 1800s now. We're talking about the idea that America is a blessed nation, that it was created out of the womb of religious liberty. It's, that's where it emerged out of. So even the notion that America was founded on slavery, that's, that's historically inaccurate. It was founded on religious liberty. The fact that subsequently later on, uh, individuals brought slavers, slaves, slaves in for the purpose of, of economics. It was, it was about money. It wasn't you know, philosophical or ideological. It was about money. It's about making money. Uh, but it's that fact within itself, that speaks to me to a, to a reality 
where the Supreme Court today is the number one firewall in, in protection of our God-given rights. Let me repeat that. Not, not the executive branch, not the legislative branch. The most important branch in America, arguably right now, is the judicial branch. It is. Every major decision uh, from, from equality uh, all the way Brown versus education that led to the civil rights movement that led to the ending of segregation, Roe v. Wade that didn't work out in favor of humanity and the sacredness of life. Every major decision regarding the redefinition of a family unit, of marriage and so forth, has come via the conduit of the Supreme Court. It's all about the opinions, the interpretation of individuals. So when we talk about Supreme Court, we can't take it lightly. For Christians, for Bible-believing Christ-centered Christians, the Supreme Court is the most important impetus that should drive us to the polls because it impacts my children. Ken, I am not making this up. I live in California. During the COVID pandemic, somebody please do your Google due diligence. The governor of California, of course he shut down churches. Everyone's privy to that. What many people are not privy to is that in one of his executive decrees, he forbid, it's the term he used, I hereby forbid, I prohibit people from having services at home. Legally speaking, for the first time in America, I was told I couldn't pray with other people in the confines of my own home. We've never been down this road before, ever, in American history. And, and I thought there was going to be like a collective American outcry of what in the world's going on? And it never took place. It's, I call it comfortable Christianity. So the Supreme Court is the way that I'm going to make sure my children and my children's children will hear the gospel. That's how important the Supreme Court is. The hearing of the gospel is contingent upon a Supreme Court that permits me to preach the gospel. That's the reality, Supreme Court. So we're advising, I mean, you know, you're privy to the fact that by the grace of God, we've, we've had some sort of advisory capacity with three presidents, George W. Bush, President Obama, even though I disagreed with him on 92% of his policies, uh, he had me there. And, and I argue there are two President Obamas. There's President Obama 2008 and President Obama 2012. That's a story for another day. How about if I tell you that I was part of President Barack Obama's, watch this, hear this carefully, 2008 Abortion Reduction Task Force. Really? I'm going to repeat that. Samuel Rodriguez was part— You didn't do a very good job. No, matter of fact, we were short-lived. <laughs> we were—but we were, and, and, first meeting with, with the president and a group of us. Um, the first meeting was a commitment to lower the number of abortions in America. I'm not making that up. With, with the caveat, I'm going to surprise the world that a Democrat will do this. I personally believe that President Obama, I asked him a question on CNN in 2007. I was co-hosting a summit, and CNN took it live. And I asked him a question. You could look at it. You could find it via YouTube. I said, Senator Obama, abortion. For many people of faith, it is a critical issue and arguably the number one issue. What say ye? He said, you know, uh, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, if, if that would happen with my daughters, God forbid, it would be a personal tragedy. And he spoke in terms of a personal tragedy, a great moment of angst for the family. Uh, I am pro-choice. I do believe in the woman's right to choose. However, I think abortion, which is the Clinton mantra, should be rare, legal, but he was definitely talking about abortion within you know, the first trimester. Not that I'm in favor of that. I'm, uh, I'm pro-life from the womb to the tomb from the moment of conception. But he said that. It was very, wow. Hence, that's why evangelicals voted for Obama in, in, in record numbers. 
of Latino evangelicals, they voted for Obama. And it was just amazing. And white evangelicals, younger evangelicals supported Obama. And then everything changed in 2012. So, and now with President Trump, with the issue of Supreme Court, I've been advising him on, on various issues, serve on, on the evangelical advisory team. Uh, and the issue of Supreme Court is the number one issue we bring up with the president when we speak to him regarding what our evangelicals concerned about, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's a lot there. One of the things is the tragedy of our republic being so dependent on the courts. That was never how we were designed to be, but it is the reality in which we live. It's the reality. I agree. So as people think about this upcoming election, the Supreme Court, the, the, mon the monster of that, I, I think the, the other bigger monster looking down on all that is what you brought up, religious liberty. Because we never, ever thought in the, in the United States of America— Politicians would say, you can't have church, you can't even have church in your own homes, and then we would all just passively sit by like a bunch of stupid sheep. We did. Isn't that wild? The number one problem in 2020 America is not the culture. It's not cultural decadence, it's not moral decadence, it's not cultural decadence and you know, ecclesiastical lukewarmness and spiritual apathy. The number one problem in America is a lukewarm church. Mm -hmm. It's a complacent we are church. Laodicea, I right? call it complacent. Yeah, absolutely. It's complacent Christianity. And there is no such thing as complacent Christianity, comfortable Christianity, politically correct Christianity, or silent Christianity. And right now we're experiencing that. I am concerned, man. And I'm not, it's not like a collective judgment of our, our, our entire tribe. There are segments, the pastors who have the audacity in California. How much are you going to find me every day? 5,000 bucks? Find me. It's another pastor that you, we and I both know from Southern California. Put me in jail. Good luck with that. Go ahead and no, we, me. And, and we, we've mentioned Rob McCoy's name several I mean, times. You have. Man's a stud. So it, it, yeah. these, are, these are new heroes. There's a book that has to be written about the first, first individuals in the 21st century who were in the trenches, in the front line, fighting for our religious liberty. Religious liberty is at stake. That's not hype, man. It really is. My right to worship is at stake. We gathered in Sacramento. Myself and I, I, I work with a guy named Sean Foyt. Sean Foyt is a blonde-haired California hippie. Uh, the typical Jesus movement redux, right? Sean... Says, Larry Norman's son, huh? Right. It, so that's it, precisely. Sean comes around and says, hey, I just want to gather to worship because I'm, 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 I'm an American and I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian first and American second. But why can't we worship? So he gathered. We gathered a couple of weeks back in Sacramento. 12,000 showed up. Watch this. 12,000 showed up at the Capitol. At the Capitol. Uh, very, regarding wearing masks, you know, we advise everyone to wear masks. 95% did not. Ask me how many COVID cases have been reported from that. Just please ask me. And then do your due diligence and make sure you confirm well, you, this. You, you're a math major at Lehigh, so I don't want to get into None. statistics with you. None. None. Not that I'm saying that COVID doesn't exist. Sure it does. But what I'm saying is... Didn't they find some protest to blame it on, on you for or something? No, they couldn't because cause we, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we were solid in the way we did things. But it was pretty amazing how we gathered and said, look, this is outrageous. Christians need to wake up. This Supreme Court, this election, it's about the Supreme Court. It's about life. Late-term abortion, Ken, are you kidding me? And I know you've discussed this with your other guests, but are you kidding me? I mean, just... It, did you hear the news this, when this, this past week? This past week, all over the place, I saw a CBS cute clipping, which is life on Venus. Did you see that part? It said life, it looks like there, there, there's life on Venus. 
microscopic life, if it's microscopic, yet it has the characteristics of life, it's therefore, scientifically speaking, life. Yet a nine-month baby in the womb? Isn't that amazing? It's just illogical. It's Spock. I'm a Trekkie. So I'm an evangelical oh, Trekkie. Please, really? Die hard. Oh, evangelical. come on, man. I'm an evangelical I, I had so much more respect for you. No, no, I'm a Trekkie. Don't go Star Wars. I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> uh, so just Spock would say, illogical. There's, 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 a, there's a lack of cognitive... Did you see, did you see the Babylon Bee on that? It said uh, scientists th- thought they found life on Mars, but then just realized it was an unborn baby. Yes, I love it. Babylon Bee's brilliant. Uh, I love that. I mean, the, the satire, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So let's talk about, you know, very important. We're talking about religious liberty, importance of the Supreme Court. Um, and we're talking about 60 million evangelical Christians. Those are our solid numbers that we know that real Christians, 60 million voting age evangelical Christians trying to decide what to do. And a lot of them, you hear from them, I hear from them say, man, I just can't vote for Donald Trump because he says mean things. Got it. First, let me digress for a second. Here's a statement that, that, that I live by. Religious liberty is the quintessential firewall against secular totalitarianism. Say, say that again. Those are big words. Religious liberty is the quintessential firewall against secular totalitarianism. What prevents totalitarian regimes from establishing a foothold? It's religious liberty. Do your due diligence throughout the course of humanity. Any nation that had religious liberty would stop, deter, impede, obstruct, hinder totalitarian leadership from forming and taking power. Please do that. I'll I'll interrupt that one second. Unless it's a lukewarm church like the Lutheran church in the 1930s in Germany, which folded over for their own comfort and look what happened. And Hitler ended up murdering most of them anyway. They bent over backwards. So that's not, that's not protecting religious liberty. That's it, it's yeah. They, it's going to be a real church. That they, really, I'm talking about the real yeah. church with the right to worship. Do it's, we have, and, and, and that's the case. That's what we're dealing with here. Is there enough people who truly love Jesus in this church, in this country right now to stand up when, a governor has the audacity to say, you can't even have a Bible study in your house. We have two types of Christians, and this is going to be controversial, but this is why we're having this podcast, not to be controversial, but to speak truth to power. You have two types of Christians. You have those that will acquiesce to Pharaoh's request to make bricks without straw. You have those that surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and actually bow. You have those that listen to Herod and stop preaching, casting out demons, and healing the sick. Paul calls them the carnal. I'm giving you examples of the word. What we need are Christians that stand up like, like Moses did with the word of the Lord and say, let my people go so they may worship. We need Christians that look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. I'm not going to take a knee. I'm not going to take a knee. I'm not going to bow for anyone but Christ. There's only one I worship. His name is Jesus. And we need the response of Luke 13, 32. This is the way Jesus responded to an individual called Herod trying to infringe upon his right. This is his response. It wasn't, let me pray for you. This is Jesus, the quintessential model, right? This is what he said, Luke 13, 32. Go tell that fox. He's conveying a message to him. He called him a name. Go tell that fox. I'm going to continue to cast out demons and heal the sick because on the third day, I will fulfill my purpose. We need a church that has the audacity to say, go tell that fox, not the individual's name, but what he represents or she represents. Go tell that totalitarian spirit that wants to take away my God-given right. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. I'm going to continue to raise my kids with a Christian value system. I'm going to continue to tell my children and my children's children that there are two biological, physiological sexes. There's men and women, and that's pure 100% science and 100% faith. I'm going to continue... I'm going to continue to set the people around me free by telling them that Christ is the only way to be saved. 
And I'm going to continue to heal people who are broken by addiction, by whatever it may be, through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. That should be it. This election, you're either going to choose Pharaoh or Moses. You're either going to choose Nebuchadnezzar or the Hebrew boys in Daniel. And you're either going to choose Herod or you're going to choose Jesus. It's up to you. And this whole idea that my my political preference is, I just don't like Donald Trump, his tweets, his rhetoric. Well, how about this? Personality, go beyond the personality, vote the policy. You put President Donald Trump's tweets and some of his rhetoric, which is coarse, indeed, he's a businessman. I'm not justifying it. I have critiqued him on occasion, uh, but I know the man. I know the man personally. So I've met with the man. I know the man. I've had the privilege of working and serving this president. And I can tell you off the bat, his policies, arguably speaking, as a student of history, his policies have been the most Christian policies that I have seen in my lifetime. Not even Ronald Reagan, who was the first person to activate me politically, uh, it, Donald Trump. He has done more for life than any president since, since Roe v. Wade 1973, bar none. He has done more for religious liberty than any other president, bar none. And yes, give Donald Trump credit for the whole Merry Christmas mantra thing. It was Donald Trump who said, I'm going to say Merry Christmas, not, not Happy Holidays. It was Donald Trump who said America shouldn't be funding abortions around the world. It's Donald Trump committed to defunding Planned Parenthood. It's, that's all Donald Trump, not to go into Israel, the, 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 the transfer in the embassy to Jerusalem, the peace accords that I was part, I, I actually attended the Abraham Accord signing ceremony at the White House. Who does that? This president has done more for Christians in America in advancing life, religious liberty, and biblical justice. Stop for a second here, Ken. Crazy. Biblical justice. So these three values should drive Christian voters. Life, religious liberty, and biblical justice. Because then the other argument is, I'm a pro-lifer, I'm religious liberty, but on the justice issue, I'm going to have to go with the other guy. Can we mention the other guy? Can we mention? Yeah. Or we're allowed to? So, uh, so you know, go for the other guy, right? We don't and keep secrets here, Sam. We don't keep we secrets. Can. So we're going to vote for Biden because I'm, I am pro-life and pro-religious liberty, but we're not, you know, one-issue voters. What? It begins with life again. I mean, but the whole issue of justice, let me tell you what Donald Trump did for justice. Donald Trump did this for justice. He funded African-American colleges and President Barack Obama, who I likewise have appreciation and affinity for. Again, I don't this, I, I don't speak this. He was meeting with you before about he was ever I president. Said. So I mean, you, you who, know President Barack, Trump, Obama. You knew him. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I knew him before yeah. the, before he became president. We met in Chicago, and um, he, I was part of that meeting in Chicago. Some of the audience may now, you know, not enjoy the following line. I have I have I have great respect and affinity for George W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump. I'm going to use interesting wording now. I love George W. Bush. I love Barack Obama, and I love Donald Trump. Now, what just happened to Sam? Because we're not called to tolerate, we're called to love. And I had the privilege of serving three presidents. Some of them I disagreed on policies. I disagreed with President George W. Bush on a particular policy, on one particular policy. President Obama on a number of policies. But I love them. And, and I was able to spend time. And again, and Michelle Obama, great interactions with the First Lady. I became very enamored with, with her and her leadership. Classy woman. And now with President Trump. Again, the tweet, the rhetoric, I've met the man. I've been there. Donald Trump looked at Sam Rodriguez, again, the justice issue, on issues of prison reform. We had dinner at the White House, a group of 20 of us at the White House, evening dinner. 
and I'm sitting, I'm seated and you know, all of us together. And then Jared looks at me and says, Pastor Sam, you know, what's in your heart? And I thought it was like dinner, you know, dinner conversation, like conversation. So I actually asked Jared, Jared, is it, is this like dinner conversation or are you really truly interested in what's in my heart? He went, no, that's all I'm asking. I said, Jared, the nation's torn apart. Man, my church is 40% white, 40% black, 20% Latino and Asian. I want to bring people together. I'm a reconciler. I think I have an idea. He went, what is it? Let's address prison reform, sentencing reform. What do you mean? What's that? There's African-American young men who are now in prisons in a disproportionate manner who are imprisoned for nickel bags, marijuana, for silly stuff, while other people got away because they had a lawyer and these kids had public defenders. We're, we're talking about 5, 10, 15, 20, 25-year sentences because they were caught with marijuana three times. Who does that? Now everyone's, you know, it's legal. So are you kidding me? And he went, what, what should we do? First of all, look, reform sentencing. Let, let's go out there, look at those that are criminally incarcerated. Let's, let's get them out of jail. No, no, no violent crimes. These are not, these are non-violent, get them out of jail. And we're talking about for stuff that they should never have been in prison in the first place. The, the, the president ran with that. Inevitably, it became the law. A dinner conversation. He did more. He did more, and you saw what Kim Kardashian did in her advocacy. Uh, he did more for the African-American community in reforming justice than any other president that I have seen this far. So that's justice issues. On immigration, the whole, I'm, I can't vote for him. He's a racist thing. And I'm with him. Like Herschel Walker said, I know this man for 30 plus years. He said that. And I wouldn't, hang, I wouldn't be spending, I know racism. I grew up in the deep South. I am not going to be hanging out or one of my best buddies, I'm, it's not going to be a racist. Donald Trump received an award from Jesse Jackson. Are you privy to that? No, I didn't know that. He received an award. Here's a banquet ceremony where he received an award from Jesse Jackson for being so, uh, I'm going to use the term progressive, not in the political term, but being so inclusive and so being such a friend of the African-American community. So this is Donald Trump who looked at me and said, Pastor Sam, I have grandkids. Does it, look to, does it look to you like I'm interested in deporting kids? Do you think that I would actually do that? That's Donald Trump to Sam Rodriguez. So, but he's in favor of people coming in here legally and so am I, not illegally. Again, it's all fake news. Now, am I signing off on every tweet? No, come on. Uh, I, mean, I don't sign off on my own tweets. My point to you is, you know, some of the coarse language, no. He's a work in progress. He is a Philippians 1-6 candidate. I truly believe that God will finish the work he has started in Donald Trump. But this man has done more to protect life, religious liberty, and biblical justice than any other president in my lifetime. And the other side is about defunding the police, late-term abortions, socialism, violating my God-given right to worship. That's the other side. And unfortunately, that's not John Kennedy's other side, or even Jimmy Carter, or even Barack Obama 2008. I am an independent for your listeners to actually embrace. I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Christian first and foremost. I'm an American second, number three of Hispanic descent, number four of Trekkie. That's my pecking order. That's, <laughs> Yankee fan, where is that? Yankee fan, that's number five. But that's Sam Rodriguez. But I am a pro-life. I will never vote. I made a covenant with God. I will never vote for any candidate that's not pro-life, ever. And I teach my children likewise to do the same. So every Christian, it behooves us to stand up. This election is not arguably, it is the most important election of our lifetime. So goes this election, so goes America. If you want to see your cities burn, 
just like Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland. If you want that, if you want uh, Kenosha, if you want that reality coming to a city near you, go ahead. Vote for the other side. It's about law and order versus anarchy and chaos. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. I was on a TV interview last year, and uh, the host asked me what he thought was a gotcha question. You know, he had that look on his face like, I gotcha. And he said, um, if you had two candidates, one you agreed with on everything except for he was pro-abortion, and you had another candidate you disagreed with on everything, and he was pro-life, who would you vote for? I said, the pro-life guy. Me too. And he said, how can you say that? And I said, because if you take every other issue and you stack them up, they don't even come close to murdering unborn babies. That, that's clear. It's at, but it begins with life. Again, logically speaking, but what about justice? You can't have justice if you're not alive for crying out loud. Again, it's that Spock logic continuum, right? You have to have life. It begins with life. Back to President Trump or back to President Trump. So you have two, you've heard this before. You have two surgeons. You have the one surgeon who is the nicest, most affable, loving, caring, compassionate, bedside mannered surgeon in the world. This guy will rub your feet, massage your back, but he has lost about 20% of his patients, brain surgeon. You have an issue with your brain. You have another surgeon, never lost a patient, ever. 30 years, never lost a patient, ever. Except this guy smokes, drinks, and curses. <laughs> Who do you want? Pick one. Oh, even worse, he sends out tweets. Who do you want? Yeah. Who do you want? The guy who's batting a thousand, man. I don't care who you are. You want to live? You go for the, you don't want niceness. You want the guy who could get the job done. Hence, Donald Trump. So it seems to me. Again, is, is Sam endorsing Donald Trump? I've never endorsed a candidate explicitly. I am telling you, we have choices right now. And the choice is between the donkey and the elephant. And the donkey went off the reservation. The donkey is crazy right now. The donkey is just crazy the donkey is intoxicated this is socialism not the old donkey this is not john f kennedy's donkey this is stalin and you know engel this is cuckoo for cocoa puff donkey this is not the elephant's not perfect but the donkey's wild the donkey just picked up some sort of disease somewhere so it is what it is y'all have a chance to vote uh, i'm a, as for me in my house we're going to vote life religious liberty and biblical justice I don't even know where I go from there, dude. You just covered it all. You said it all. I mean, and you grew up in the heart of the the old Democrat Party, Bethlehem, Rust Pennsylvania. Belt. Man, I mean, steel mills and Mack football. Trucks. My dad, thirty year Mack truck worker. I lived out the layoffs of the nineteen eighties. I was there as a kid. 
I lived it out. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, lived it. You know, that that but that blue collar work ethic, that Calvinistic work ethic, is what made. And say, your parents are Democrats, so so you've had to think this through. Registered, but they, but they voted for President Trump because of life. So they for the first time, first time they ever vote for a Republican was actually for only pre- President Trump. Is that right? Yeah, first time ever. And I would argue beforehand, and I would go, you know, what about life? What life? And they go, lack. You know, it's all rhetoric. It really never really. It's, it's all rhetoric. It's all campaign stuff. Nothing really. No one really aborts a kid in the ninth month. Who would do? Who would abort? No. And then all of a sudden, you find out that it's not just again, it's not pro-choice. It's pro-abortion. That's the new mantra of the donkey party. Uh, so it's nuts, indeed. And again, we need to stand up. Our vote is an extension of our prophetic witness. We're going to be held accountable in heaven for our votes. I want every single listener to listen to that. You can't separate your vote from your Christianity, without a doubt. You will be judged by who you vote for. Sam, I mean, you have a huge church. Um, many, many pastors tell me, hey, I, I can't take a stand on these issues from the pulpit or I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to lose my 501c3 status. What do you say to those pastors who say, I, my congregation will throw me out if I, if I stand up for Donald Trump? You can't lose your 501c3 status because the executive fiat, President Trump took care of that, the, the, the Johnson Amendment. He took care of that. Now, if someone else comes in, they'll probably reinstate it. Uh, they will reinstate it. So we, you could get on stage and go up there and go, you know, I'm going to vote for, as a pastor right now, you can, you can legally get on stage and tell your church who to vote for. I don't think most know that. Is that right? Let me repeat that. When President Trump repealed the Johnson Amendment, it was Johnson who did it for political reasons, for political reasons exclusively, uh, because of one of his detractors, one of his political enemies, and he had political enemies. That's all it was. It was a political stunt, and, but, it's, but it's stuck, right? And then that's been argued across the board. Pastor could stand up on his pulpit and say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to vote for the following. Here's what I advise pastors to do. I advise pastors to say, to tell the church who to vote for, eh, that's, that's kind of authoritarian. That's, just, uh, uh, that's not Sam Rodriguez's cup of tea, but to each his own. I would stand up and say, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to vote for. I'm not going to tell you to vote for donkeys or elephants. I'm a lamb's agenda guy. I wrote a book called The Lamb's Agenda. I'm not married to the donkey or the elephant. I'm married to the agenda of the lamb. And I laid out the agenda of the Lamb. I'm going to stand up right before the election of my church, and I'm going to say what I always say. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give you the election speech. Are you ready? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Sam Rodriguez is going to vote 100% pro-life, pro-religious liberty, and pro-biblical justice. It begins with life. And any Christians who does not believe in pro-life or does not vote for life in the sanctity of life needs to repent. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us. We pray that as we enter the voting booth or we're mailing in our ballots, that we are filled with your precious Holy Spirit, that we lighten up with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's my annual, that's my every four-year speech. So, But they can stand up and say, hey, vote this person. You can do that explicitly right now. But we do have to tell Christians to get off the rails, get off the wall, and, and vote. We need to come out and vote. We did not turn out in 2018, and we lost the House of Representatives. We meaning who? Sam, if you're not a Republican or Democrat, who are you referencing? I'm referencing the pro-life, pro-religious liberty, pro-biblical justice politicians. We lost that. And we got a bunch of socialists that came in. And here we are, our current reality. Socialism. Can you believe that? So here it is. Socialism can, this is why we should push back. This election is critical. It's either this. It's either socialism or free markets, capitalism. What does this mean for the, for, the, uh, uh, for the individual? Simply stated, Uncle Sam is an uncle. He'll never be your heavenly father. Let me repeat that. Uncle Sam is your uncle, man. 
He's only your uncle. He's not your father. And socialism says Uncle Sam is your God. Government is your God. You depend on government for everything. And that's counterintuitive to the word of God and the spirit of God. So make sure you understand. Always remember, Uncle Sam is just an uncle. He'll never be your heavenly father. I think that you nailed it earlier, too. You nailed it about a million times during this interview. But Christians a lot of times have trouble understanding the wickedness of the world and of other people. Like your mom saying, people wouldn't really kill a baby in the ninth month, would they? They do. But they do. They tear baby apart. It's just the, the, and selling baby parts. And, and Kamala Harris actually went after the individuals who expose those, which is to me is outrageous. They, they, there's an agenda. There's a dark agenda. Now, what you meant by that, where there are people who showed that there, there, were- are, there are There are, there are God-fearing individuals who did an expose of, in the state of California exposing the selling of baby parts, of aborted babies. And, and Kamala Harris, when she was attorney general in California, instead of going after the individuals who illegally sold baby parts, came after the individuals who you know, took the video exposed and exposed it. them. And so all I'm saying is there is a dark agenda in America. It, the tragic agenda, how many millions of human beings have we killed, murdered? And, and that's, I am so staunchly pro-life, not just because of my Christian ethos, but because I'm a person of science and I'm a faith and science person. And because man, conception, do you realize? And I want your audience not to take my word for anything I'm saying. I want them to verify it, trust and verify Reagan's adage regarding Russia. So go out there and do it. At the moment of conception, there's a spark of light. Don't take my word for it. Go ahead, Google that. It was discovered a few years back. So it's, yes, the moment of conception, there's a spark of light. Certain proteins are released and it ignites a light. A spark of light the moment that the sperm hits the egg. Let there be light. It's so powerful to me. And, and here we are killing the light, turning off the light, millions since 1973. And Christians are saying, but this issue is more important than life. How can any other issue be more important than life since everything comes out of the womb of life? So we need to stand up. Again, vote, vote. Even in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic, vote, 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 vote life, religious liberty, vote biblical justice. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. So as we, as we close up here. Anything else controversial you want to have me say here? <laughs> Who's going to win the national championship in football? I'm just, I'm just kidding. You don't, want to, you don't want to go there right now. I would say the Ducks. We don't even know if they're going to play football yet. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't go down that route right now. If we want to talk about America being an unjust country, let's start with the fact that it's legal to kill 60 million unborn babies. Let's start there. Let's get rid of that. Uh, and then we can start dealing with other stuff. But as we think about voting, as we think about the Supreme Court, we'd better look at the well, most wicked thing there you, is. Can you even bring up Sam Race? Cause, intentionally, because you've done other race podcasts and you will. I get that. Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. What's the purpose of abortion from the Planned Parenthood perspective, what was the initial purpose? What was, the, what was it? Purging out blacks. Absolutely. It was purging out. It was killing black people. Well, you it, know, was, I, it, was, it was removing from American society African-American black people. I, Can you believe I've that? I've spoken the most on racist? a lot of inner city uh, groups, you know, as an L.A. cop, they all want to hear me. And one of the questions they always asked me after I get done talking was, were, were L.A. policemen racist? And I used to say, uh, no, we weren't racist. We hated everybody equally. 
But uh, the other thing I used to say to them is, kids, I want you to think about, you know, these are inner city kids. Um, and uh, Where are the abortion clinics in your neighborhood? How many abortion clinics Blacks are and near your, yeah, Blacks and Latinos. How many abortion clinics are near your, are near your home? And they would shout out two, three, where are they? They would all shout them out. And I would say, now I challenge you to go to the white suburbs and drive around and find an abortion clinic. You well, can drive find, around all day. You'll never find, find one. Abortion is Why racism. Why do they only want to put abortion clinics because in your racist. neighborhood? Abortion is racism. Abortion is racism. You talk about racism? I'm going to tell you what's law, law enforcement. It's, it's, you know, let me tell you what's really racist. And, and we, all, you know, we all are against any manifestations of racism. As Christians, we, we, are the, we are the champions of equality because we're all created in the image of God, without a doubt. But with that being said, the most abortion, the most racist, entity or movement in America is the pro-abortion movement. It is the most racist movement in America. It is a pro-abortion movement. Racist. Targeting blacks and Latino. Um, again, I have a Hispanic descent. You're targeting Latinos and African Americans intentionally. And, and in California, you could be a 13, 14-year-old, 12-year-old girl. You get an abortion, not even tell your parents. And they pick you up at school and take you to the abortion clinic. I know this because we live this out at our church. This is a story from my local church. So this actually happens. You're targeting people of color. The abortion industry targets people of color. The most racist institution in America is the abortion institution, abortion entities. The abortion movement is the most racist movement in America. You want, you want to address racism? Address that. Begin by addressing that. And then everything else will follow. You know, I tell you, I remember the election between Bush and Kerry and people saying, well, we don't have a real choice. They're, both parties are the same. This year... You talk about a real choice. Give, give those choices again between the donkey yeah, and the elephant. It. Right now, the reality, again, I've worked with both donkeys and elephants in the past. I'm an independent. So I can tell you off the bat, this is not, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. Here's the choice now. Don, this is what the donkey believes versus what the elephant believes right now. Inter-party platforms. Forget about the personalities. I want your listeners to listen here. Joe Biden is a good guy. I hope you heard me. Joe Biden is a good guy. He's a good guy. And, and Donald Trump has some very difficult tweets to swallow. But you have a choice this election between the nice surgeon who maybe kills half of his patients, and then you have a guy who is just batting a thousand with policy. A thousand. I'm trying to think of one policy I disagree with. I can't find one. So give us those policies again. His policies? No, the policies on each side. Give us the Here choice. it is. The donkey side versus the elephant. Defunding police versus reforming the police. Critical. On one side, uh, very strong anti-Israel rhetoric and policies as labeled by the squad, Ilan Omar and others, super pro-Israel, pro-the Jewish people, building a firewall against anti-Semitism is what Republicans believe. Moving right the now. embassy to Jerusalem. Oh, absolutely. On the donkey side, abortion on demand all the way to the ninth month. Let me correct myself. The governor of Virginia, forget about the ninth month, beyond the ninth month. Post facto. On the elephant side, life is sacred, created by God to be protected. All life is sacred from the womb to the tomb. Life is sacred. On the donkey side, big government socialism, government taking over of your life, telling you what to eat, what to drive, how to live, what to educate your children with, what information. On the elephant side, charter schools, freeing the educational system. You teach your children whatever you want to teach because government, does, you don't work for government, government works for you. Simple. In, in one little visual, on the donkey side, 
It's government over man over God. On the elephant side, it's God over man and man over government. Mm, That's a big choice. There it is. On the donkey, you worship Uncle Sam. On the elephant side, Uncle Sam is an uncle, but you have a heavenly father. That's the choice. 2020 election, that's the choice we have to make. Sam, what I do is I go out and I get one of the greatest preachers in the world today, and we talk about politics the whole time. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't, nobody, I, I've never heard it put that succinctly and that clearly for people. Good for you, man. Keep preaching that because uh, the next little bit here before the election, that is key, man. And uh, God bless you for making that message so clear. Last, last word before we sign off. Thank you for having me. If you're fully committed to seeing this nation turn for the better and bringing people together, uh, and you want to vote this year, and you want to vote led by the Spirit of God according to the Word of God, and if you truly believe in even racial reconciliation or bringing the races together, whatever it may be, there's one party that divides people based on the color of your skin. Right now, it wasn't that case during John F. Kennedy's side. Not, not at all, but it is now. And there's one party that says, your skin is beautiful, but you're Americans. When I, and we have a choice. If you want to bring people together, you have a choice to make. So vote. vote. Vote according to that rubric I just laid out. Vote in the name of Jesus. Vote with a commitment to changing America and changing the world. God bless you, man. Next time you're on, let's debate Revelation. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> See you, brother. Thank you. Ken Harrison is chairman of Promise Keepers, an organization founded by coach Bill McCartney that has led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content in a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. And to receive a challenging weekly devotional from Ken via text, please text the words Promise Keepers to 31996. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.